All right, Rabotai Tehillim, and we are up to chapter 62. Uh, these classes are learned as well for the Da'idun Neshama of Mrs. Lily Meddeb, the Abbot Virginia, and uh, dedicated by her son, Rafi. We are uh, learning the Tehillim up to 62. Now this chapter, at least in the beginning, is not connected directly to anything that we studied in Navi. So we don't need really an introduction to learn the chapter in Navi like we've been doing. We can jump right into the, uh, the Pedic. Lam Naseyah al Yidutun. Now, what is, what is Yidutun? So the she tells us Yidutun is actually a name of an instrument. I can't tell you what it is. Is it a violin? It's not. Is it a, is it a ukulele? Maybe. I have no idea what it is. All I can tell you is that David was very, very careful, not only when he wrote these songs, but he picked the instrument that he felt would convey the message of the song. So he was a brilliant musician. He must have understood that, you know, each chapter comes through better with a certain uh, communication through the instrument that's used. So he picked the instruments and he would give it to the conductor, as we said. And Mizmode David, and it would be, it would be his uh, composition. This chapter is referring to actually, according to most of the Mefarshim, nothing that per se happened to David, at least at the beginning, but it's a futuristic chapter. It's talking about us. David had prophecy. He was a Navi. He saw what's going to happen to Bnei Israel in the future in Galut. And he saw all the atrocities, no other word, that the Goim are going to do to the Jewish people different forms of anti-Semitism, whether it was the religious persecution or the physical persecution that we know well. So David, and then just the regular troubles that everybody goes through from Galut, not from the Goim, just the troubles of, of, of exile. So David saw all that, and therefore he prays to God that B'nai Yisrael will be able to uh, endure the difficulties and the Gezerot of, uh, of exile. Now, where do we see that? So, look at the word Yidutun. This is the chapter of Yidutun. So, besides being an instrument, Rashi HaKadosh quotes from the Midrash, and Yidutun comes from the Hebrew word Dat. That means religion. And also, uh, in the word Yidutun is the word Din. You see, there's a Dalad and I guess a Vav. So, that's referring to that she says on the religious and physical persecution that are decreed on the Jewish people from their enemies. So that's called, that's a synonym, it's a new word, it's a word of the day. Yidutun is a combination of datot and dinim. The different religious, or we would say the, uh, 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 the decrees and the gezerot that were uh, leveled against the Jewish people and are still being leveled in the exile. So David Zemelech is making a futuristic prayer. Now the good news is it's Mizmor. Mizmor is a song. So I guess David was confident that uh, the Jewish people will ultimately uh, survive the exile. And the Pasuk then says, Ach el Elohim dumiyan nafshi. Which simply means that David Amalek is anticipating that the salvation will come from God. Dumiyan Afshi means anticipate. He anticipates the salvation will come from God. Memenu Yeshuati. And from him is my, is my salvation. Uh, that's very important, which means David Amalek does not trust and put his uh, salvation in synthetic uh, you know, uh, areas. He puts his faith in God, and only God himself will be able to redeem us. Ach hu suri vishu'ati. Suri is a rock. So we mean that God is our protector, or you like to say our fortress. Vishu'ati. That means from him salvation comes. I think we're starting to realize that. You know, many people trusted government for so many years. Now you start to see what this government looks like, even though we're living in a democracy. You could forget it from time to time. I think they forgot it. And therefore, we're starting to realize democracy is not going to save us either. And ultimately, we're coming to the truth that there's only one entity that can save us from all our troubles, and that's, that's from God. 
David Amelech knew that from the beginning. Achut Suri, God is my rock. Vishuatir, my salvation comes from him. Miskabi, Miskabi is my fortress, like a wall that fortifies a city. Lo emot. Now, lo emot rabba, which means, uh, in, the, in the vernacular we would say today, I won't fall all the way to the bottom. Today they say rock bottom. We know that Klai still will not reach rock bottom. Lo emot. He says, I know I'm going to fall in exile, but I'm not going to fall all the way rabba to the, <coughs> to the bottom, which means, even though it feels like we've reached rock bottom, but what it means is to say that Klai will always regenerate. Just take an example. You would have said after the Holocaust, the destruction of European Jewry, if you were watching Klaistel at that time and you saw the complexion of what the Jewish people looked like, you would say there's no way that Jewish people can ever recover from such a from such a tragedy. Especially the Khurban of the Yeshivot of Europe. I mean, these were the you know Lehavdil, Ivy League Yeshivot. These are the highest level yeshivot and the tzaddikim that died and the Torah. You'd say it can never recover. Well, I have to be honest, it never recovered on the level. That's for sure. You cannot build those yeshivot with those rabbis again. They're irreplaceable. But there was a great surge of Torah after the, after the Holocaust. It's, uh, it was an open miracle. So it means even when Klaisil falls, it's never where there's a, you know, that, that it's a knockout. It's a fall, it's a, it's a, it's a terrible fall, but Klai Yisrael always survives. That's what David Melech was praying. Lo emot rabbah. I'm not going to fall rabbah greatly. It's going to be a fall, but it's not going to be you know, an ending fall where Klai is not going to be able to survive. Ad'ana tehotetu al-ish. Now this pasuk over here, Ad'ana. Uh, David Melech is... Uh, talking to the goyim now. Again, he's not talking to them physically, but he's giving a broadcast to them through this chapter. Now, by the way, the goyim also read the Psalms. So maybe one goy will get to this chapter and they'll hear what David Amalek is telling them. Ad'ana tehotetu al-ish. Until when? Tehotetu means to break. Until when? Are you going to stop trying to break and destroy the Ish? Who's the Ish? B'nai Israel. And then he comes along, according to most of the Mefarshim, he puts a curse on them. Wow. He's not talking about the innocent people. Those that come to murder the Jewish people, he curses them and say, they should be murdered. And then he says, in a very poetic way, Kekir Natui. Kir Natui is a dilapidated wall that's leaning. Uh, a dilapidated wall doesn't take too much to fall. All you need is somebody to sneeze and the wall falls. And therefore, he's saying that their death should come quickly, just like a dilapidated tilted wall falls easily. So he calls it Kekir Natui, Gader ha-dehuya. Gader ha-dehuya is a fence that's made up of rocks. Uh, in the olden days, they would take rocks, like pebbles from the ground, and make these walls made out of stone, but there was no cement in them, there was no you know, uh, 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 limestone, they just put the rocks on top of each other. So when the horses or the camels would be going down the street, sometimes they would hit the wall. And the second they would hit the wall, it would be like an avalanche, all the stones would come down because there's really nothing holding it up besides the weight of the, uh, of the stones themselves. So therefore we would say, kegader, meaning a stone, a, a, a stone wall, hadechuya, hadechuya that gets pushed by the horse when it's walking and therefore it falls easily. Basically he's saying, they should have a quick death. Just like the wall that's, that's tilted falls easily and the gader, of stones falls easily, it should be uh, as such. Uh, now that's the way most of the Mepharshim learned the Pasuk. The Malbim, however, learns it a little differently. He learns it that it's still not cursing the Guim out, but it's, it's telling the Guim what they do to us, that the Guim kill us in an easy fashion. Like knocking down a wall that's already dilapidated, or like knocking down the, and we know that. 
we go back again to the uh, systematic uh, killing of the, the millions of Jews during the Holocaust, they did it uh, in an easy way. They sent them in in a mechanical way, you know, a mass murder, as we would call it. Uh, you know, uh, very, very, uh, you know, for them at least, easy way. The gas comes out, they die. It was a machine of murder. So therefore, David Amalek says, until when? Until when are you going to uh, uh, treat Jewish lives in such a casual way, like you're just toppling down a wall so easily to kill the Jews? However, the pasuk comes along and says, Ach now, now, David, in this chapter, goes back to his own life. You have to, you have to know how to read Tehidim. Sometimes these, these, these pesukim are not an easy flow. Because it's not a story. So you have to know when he's talking about the future, when he's talking about the present, and when he's talking about the past. Now in the pasuk, he moves to his own... Uh, David keeps on moving from the troubles of Klai Israel to his personal troubles. And now he starts to talk about what they try to do to him. What were they worried about, David's enemies? They were worried about Se'eto. What's Se'eto? Nisa means to be elevated. They were worried, they were jealous that David is going to be elevated. Meaning to become king. And he's going to be, uh, therefore, because of the fear that they had of David's Se'eto, elevation, Ya'atsu, they gave advice to Shaul, who was the king, Lehadiyah, in order to knock him off. Yiritsu Chazav. They spoke words of Kazab. Kazab means lies. As we know, uh, this was the lies that they spread to Shaul to create animosity in order that Shaul will keep David uh, away. And the uh, Pasuk comes over here and says that they were two-faced. They would see David hiding from Shaul and they would make as if they were his friends. And once they would talk to David, they would run back to Shaul and pass the information to Shaul. So the Pasuk says, Befiv Yibarechu. With their mouths, they bless. Oh, David, Baruch Abba, Shalom Aleichem, how you doing? These are the worst people, the two-faced people. The enemies, if you know who your enemy is, you know who your enemy is, you can be careful. But the two-faced people, you can't be careful from them. So he says, Befiv Yibarechu. They bless me with their mouth. But in their hearts, they're cursing me. So therefore, this is what I was, this is what I was dealing with. And uh, David Amalek says, until when are they going to, uh, you know, treat me like this? But then he says, I have my anticipation and faith that God will take care of it. Which is beautiful stuff because... David is a great king, he's a warrior, and obviously he had a lot of influence. But you see how humble the tzaddikim were, they put their trust in God. He could have said, I have an army, uh, he's the one that killed Goliath, David Amalek has a great zikhuyot. Uh, they know the tzaddikim understand that human beings are powerless without the help of God. So with all his problems, he says, I have no worries, my, my trust is in HaKadosh Baruch Hu, and that's where my anticipation is. So, learn a lesson. If David, uh, who was very, very capable, put his trust in God, so us, that are not as capable as David, certainly should have no problem to put our trust in God and not rely on our brains and our prowess and our influence and our you know, wealth and things like that. Ach. That's why Tehidim is so comforting to people. Because when God forbid a person is going through a difficult time and they read these chapters, you just see how David threw his whole life on God. He threw all his problems on God. And when a person is going through a crisis, he doesn't know what to do. And David consoles him. He says, just throw it onto God. Hashem runs the world. You don't have to solve every problem over here. Certain things are beyond our scope. Hashem will, will take care of it. And you see that it worked for David. That, that's why the, the, the words of Tehidim are so soothing to those people. Somebody was once in a, in a doctor's office and uh, you know, waiting to see the doctor for whatever they had. And uh, in the meantime, they pick up the Tehidim book and they're reading. 
and uh, they see other patients in the, in, the, in, the, in the room, in the waiting room. And one's reading, uh, I don't know what, People's Magazine, one's reading Sports Illustrated. And he said to himself, or she said, poor things, they don't have what to, what to hold on. They're, they're in the same trouble as, as that person. They're both, all, if you're in that doctor's office, you're in trouble. But at least we have the tehillim that we can fall back on. The tehillim becomes a, a cushion. But these people, what can they do? They're reading nonsense. They don't have something to, to fall back on. So it's, a, it's, it's, it's actually a great gift. So again, David HaMelech says, I'm not going to fall. And B'nai Israel in the times of Galut, they're not going to fall either. And therefore he prayed that the fall should not be so great, even though it's going to be difficult exile. Because at the end of exile, which we're probably living through right now, not making any predictions, but a lot of the stuff that you see going on in the news, it's all, it's all been written in the books. Uh, with Russia and all these things over here. But the tzaddikim, they don't get scared from these things. They say, hey, we've been waiting for these uh, events to unfold. Uh, recently somebody sent me something from um, uh, the Disco Rebbe. Uh, and he said that, um, that when he was young, you heard from one of the great rabbis that they said, in the end, the two chickens are going to fight with each other, and then the third chicken's going to come and take them both over, and then the Mashiach's going to come. He said, what are you talking, the chickens, what chickens? He said, uh, Russia will fight with the United States, and then the third chicken's China will come. And the, so all these things already that Sadiqim saw, you know, from, from before. Now, we don't know if this is the... But this is all part of the process to get to that... And so at the end it says, Ah, God is my fortress, Lo Emot. Lo Emot. In the beginning it said, Lo Emot Rabbah. I won't fall to the bottom. Now it just says, I won't fall. Because at the end of time, we're not going to fall at all. Christ is going to be redeemed. Mashiach will come, and Christ will be back on top. Al Elohim Yishri. The Yeshua is, is to God. That's a very important point. That salvation belongs to God. You have to learn that. The Israelis in 1967, uh, they thought that the salvation belonged to them. I mean, it was a stunning victory. Uh, it's hard you know, to believe that they won such a war against all odds. And they went to their head. And they said salvation belongs to the army. Now you need an army, but salvation belongs to God. So God reminded them in 1973 when they got surprised attacked in Yom Kippur, that salvation doesn't belong to the human, salvation belongs to God. And David was a warrior. He could have taken credit for all his victories, but he was a humble warrior. And he understood that if a human being succeeds in something, it's because God gave him the ability. And therefore, to the credit, the glory always belongs to Hashem. Not to plagiarize and take kavod that doesn't belong to you. So therefore, I give the salvation to God. When I... When I win, when I'm victorious, I'm not going to say that the kavod is mine. Uchbodi, my honor is his. Sur uzim Elohim. And the reason why God helped me is only because sur uzim. Why is God my fortress? Because I put my, my belief and trust in God. When you put your trust in God, so therefore we, have, uh, we get results. Now the pasuk, David gives us advice. He's talking to us now. Put your trust in God at all times. Now he's talking to us. At all moments, put your trust in God. Who's that? Am. Am is the nation. And not only that, you have to pray. And not only you have to pray, pour your heart out to him. Heart is prayer. But the prayer has to be what we mean with a heart, which means heartfelt. The prayer has to be with kavana. That means giving us the secret. The koah of tefillah. Don't just throw the words out of your mouth. Prayer is an exercise not of the mouth, it's an exercise of the heart. But it has to come from a place of emotion, not a verbal place, a place of feeling. And therefore, tefillah is called live. <coughs> and then he says, 
How beautiful. Don't be afraid of your enemies. Not only the anti-Semites now. Don't be afraid of anybody. Anybody that comes against us. Even the Mekatregim, let's say the negative forces that sometimes come. Nobody has to be scared of anything except HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Even the Yetzirah. Because he says, Ach Hevel B'nei Adam. David is talking to the people that are afraid of, uh, of the enemies or their personal things that they have in life, enemies that they have. He says, there's nothing to worry. He says, a human being is nothing. He's heaven. Heaven means he's like air. Air, air is nothing. Air is weightless. Actually, there's a little weight to it, I have to admit, but it's nothing. It's heaven. Kazab ben Adam. Those people that speak and threaten and the bullies anti-Semites, and they make all these uh, threats. Kazab, it's sheker, which means they have no power. Bimoznaim la'alot, there's a beautiful mashal, he says. If you put them on the scale, you know the old, old time scales? We had the two sides, they call them moznaim. Moznaim is a, uh, a scale, not that you stand on, uh, like the scales that have the two cups, and you put the weight on one side and the potatoes on the other side, and they go like this. Uh, the reason why they call uh, Moznayim, I once heard, maybe it was from the name of Samson Fal Hirsch, that, um, how do you say ears in Hebrew? Oznayim. And he said that there's a connection between Oznayim and Moznayim. Because the balance of a person is talu in his ears, which is the scale, the scale is a balance. Which is an amazing thing that the Torah, when it called the word Oznayim, it understood that ears have to do with balance. Years ago, they didn't know that. They said ears have to do with hearing. Nobody knew that the inner ear is the whole uh, vertigo is in the ear. That's the balance of the person. And therefore, Oznayim, Oznayim. So he says, if you take all these enemies who are big shots and they're making big noise, nobody's so scared, they're nothing. So he says, take them and put them on the scale. How much do they weigh? So he says, "Bemoznayim la'alot." When you put them on the moznayim, hema mehevel yahad. They all together will equal less than hevel, which means hevel air weighs something. They weigh even less than hevel, which means they will not even register. The scale will not even move, even though it means their bark is greater than their bite. They're, they're nothing. I believe the better and with, with, their, with, their, with their threats, it doesn't even weigh anything. Who controls them? Now, Pasuk Yud Aleph. Al tiftehu be'oshek u'begazel. Now it's talking to Bnei Israel. Don't put your faith in those people that work for a living but they cheat. And they make a lot of money, but they make it through what's called oshik. Oshik means where they um, are not stealing money directly, but they don't pay their bills on time, they don't pay their workers on time. Uh, oshik, it's called oshik. They, they squeeze. And do not... Uh, entertain the possibility to make business through gezel. Gezel means mamash, just stealing from people. So whether you're not paying your debts or you're stealing, do not trust that uh, that lifestyle will bring you higher. Because even if you make money in such a way, ki yanuv, and even if it's producing and flowing a lot of profits, al tashitu lev, don't pay attention to it. David Amelech is telling uh, a very important lesson. Rashi says, Sometimes you see the wicked people. They work on Shabbat, they work on holidays, 
a lot of money. So you can't you start to think to yourself, so you know what? Maybe it's Kedai, maybe it's worth it. He says, no, do not put your faith in those that are making money in, uh, in illegal ways. Don't pay attention. There was one time, uh, one of the members of the community, they went to Hakam Baruch, and uh, they asked him, you know, he has an opportunity to open up a, a jewelry store in a, in a mall. Only problem is, <clears throat> the policy of the mall is they open on Shabbat. So he wants to know, of course he won't go to work on Shabbat, but he'll make like a, um, a um, what do you got there, beautiful. <clears throat> he'll make a um, shtab, you know, a, a, a partner with a goy, he'll figure out a loophole. Baruch Shalom told him, I want to ask you, he said, do you need this? Do you need it? Are you going to starve if you don't have this store? He said, no, it's profit, it's just extra, you know, who doesn't want more money? He said, listen, you don't need it. You're making a panasa for profit. You want to play with the Shabbat? Rabbi said it. He said, okay, you're right. Rabbi, if you tell me there's no beracha, he says, when you play with the Shabbat, there's no beracha. I, but this guy's making money and opens on Shabbat. There's no beracha on it. You'll see. Over the course of time, there's no beracha. Anyway, he didn't take the store. He tells me later on, good thing I didn't take the store. He says, because the store was in the main concourse of the World Trade Center. And on that day when 9-11 came and those stores came, so forget about it, the store would have, been, would, have, would have been destroyed, obviously, and all the profits. And who knows if he would have been in there, and who knows what would have happened, because a lot of people didn't leave. They thought it was only on the top floors, and when the buildings came down, Hashem saved me. So David Amir was saying, don't put your trust in ill-gotten gains. You have to put your trust in, in God, and that's why I once saw, if you look at the... Um, the parashiyot that we're reading now, the parashiyot, I don't know if you paid attention, a lot of them are talking about the Mishkan. And the Mishkan was just like a building a synagogue. And it was funded by donations. Everybody gave donations to the project. But right before the parashah of Tirumah, which is the first parashah of donating money to the Mishkan, is parashah Mishpatim. Mishpatim is the laws of business what's considered honest practice and what's considered illegal. Which means before the Torah teaches us the mitzvah of giving tzedakah, first the Torah teaches us the right way to make money. And once your money is kosher, now the Torah says, now you have kosher money, now you can go build a better. So mishpatim has to come before tirumah. First has to come the, the rules of making money, and then once the money is kosher, then God could say, that's what David Amalek is telling us over here. It seems, I guess, one of the tests of exile is Gezel. And even people rationalize, no, oh, it's only stealing from Goyim. It doesn't matter. You cannot steal from anybody, even uh, Goyim. So people say, oh, it's not, uh, no. And therefore, David Amalek says, even though you're going to be in exile for a long time, do not think that you're able to, you know, to, uh, to cut corners. Now we get to one of the, uh, the main entrees of today's, uh, today's class. It happens to be the last couple of Pesukim. That's where all the Derashot are. Let's go to the first one. Ahat diber Elohim. What does it mean? God spoke one word, Shetayim Zushamati. But I heard two. What does it mean? He spoke one, but I heard two. Ki Elohim. So let's go to uh, let's go to Rashi. Rashi says, "Zachor v'shamor b'dibur ehad ne'emaru." So Rashi's first interpretation of the pasuk is is referring to the Ten Commandments. That ahat diber Elohim, God spoke one word, but we heard two words come out of His mouth at that time. I cannot even replicate it because it's impossible to say one word that sounds like two. It was a miracle. What was the word that God said? Zachor shamor. In Shabbat. I don't know if you say lechad odi on Friday nights. Zachor v'shamor v'dibur echad. What does it mean? Ishmi'anu elamiyuhad. The God in heaven, when he said it, it came out as one. What's zachor and shamor? That's the laws of Shabbat. Zachor is the positive commandment to keep the Shabbat, and shamor is the, the negative, not to do the melachot. So therefore they're 
they're linked together. So that's the simple explanation, the way, not simple, that's the way that she is telling it to us from the Midrash, that sometimes one is two. One is two, or two is one. I saw the Midrash that explains this a little different. There's certain rules in the Torah where the Torah says something is definitely forbidden. And then in the same Torah, it tells me, but in this case, it's permissible. So the Pasuk is saying, God gave a law, but there's an exception to the law. But I heard something else that uh, is an exception. I'll give you an example. The Midrash says, Okay, we know that. You can't wear sharpness. However, in the same book that says you can't wear sharpness, the Torah allows... A person, not allows, there's a mitzvah from the Torah to wear a wool garment of sisit and to have, let's say, uh, or a linen garment that have wool strings. Even though that is shatnez. But when it comes to the mitzvah of sisit in the olden days, the olden days, it was permissible. Or the Torah says, you're not allowed to marry uh, your brother's uh, 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 wife. That's forbidden. But the same Torah says that you cannot marry your brother's wife. Tells us there's a mitzvah yibum. That if the brother dies without children, it's permissible. So therefore, I'm not, I'm not going to explain to you why that is, but these are, these are rules. So therefore, and you know what it teaches you? It's not the law. It's God that we're listening to. So God tells us, in this case, it's forbidden. In this case, it's, it's permissible. So therefore he said, Ahadi bir Elohim, Shtayim Zushamati. Give me another example, the Midrash says. You must keep the Shabbat. And anybody that desecrates the Shabbat will be put to death. In the same Torah, what does it say? Make sure in the Beit HaMikdash on Shabbat you bring two korbanot, two sacrifices. What does that mean? You're going to think that this is God forbid a reform temple. It's not. In the Beit HaMikdash on Shabbat, they would take a big knife and slaughter animals. They would slaughter animals on Shabbat. If you would slaughter an animal on Shabbat, outside the Beit HaMikdash, God forbid, it's a death penalty. But the Torah says they would slaughter the animal, and they would take it and put it on the Mizbaya. That's like putting a piece of meat on the barbecue. If somebody would put a piece of meat on the barbecue on Shabbat, forget about meat. If he took a three ounces of water, and heated it up, it'd be hayav. But in the Beit HaMikdash, it was permissible to slaughter the animal, not one, two animals, one in the morning, one in the afternoon, plus another two for the Qurban Musaf. How you can explain it? So that's it. Which means, God speaks one law, but I heard two. I heard the exception. And therefore, again, it's not that we understand the law, but obviously we're following not our logic. We're following God. So God makes it up. God says, here it's permissible, here it's forbidden. And that shows us the loyalty that we have to God. We're not, we're not loyal to, 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 to a mitzvah only because Hashem tells it to us. So the one that makes the rule in this scenario is the same one that makes the exception in the other scenario. So we're fine. A lady in our shul once, she, uh, on Kippur, she fainted. Lady section. It happens sometimes. There's a big tumult. All of a sudden, a lady fainted and they stopped the prayers. And the Hatzalah came. And they were upstairs in the ladies' section working on it. They revived them. So I told, uh, the Hatzalah waved to me, come upstairs. What's the matter? She doesn't want to drink. I thought Mrs. Uh, whatever her name was. You have to drink. Rabbi, I, she's 60 years old. 60 years I'm fasting on Kippur. I never broke my fast on Kippur. I'm not, I'm not going to break it now. So what are you, you work for Guinness Book of World Records? You're trying to break a world record? You're gonna, you have to eat. No, I don't, uh, I don't eat. I'm not eating. I thought, Mrs. Uh, so-and-so, I asked a question. All these years you've been fasting on Yom Kippur. Why? What do you mean, why? You're the rabbi of the shul. You don't know why? I, mean, I, choose, I don't know why. I know why I fast, but I don't know why you were fasting. She's a fasting because Hashem says you have to fast. Ah, you're not fasting because you, you like to fast on Kippur? No, what do I know from Kippur? I, I would like to eat. I said, you're doing it as God says. Good. In this case, God says to eat. If you don't eat now, 
That shows us that all those other years you weren't fasting because God said you're fasting because your grandmother fasted. You're fasting because that was your menhag of your, uh, your family. You want to show God that you're loyal to his law and not your own personal custom? When you have to break the law in his name, then you break it. Hashem now wants you to eat. So we don't follow the law because of nostalgia and I never broke it and I feel good and I want to be like everybody else. But when I come home at, at the Sudatim of Sekhet or, or for breaking up the fast, I mean, they're going to say, how was the fast? I'm going to have to say, oh, I had some water. You should be proud to say you had some water because that's what God wants you to do. Who knows what tikkun you're making now? Maybe there's a tikkun that you have to have, that somebody has to drink water on Kippur to make a beracha. Who knows what the tikkun is? I don't know what it is. But Hashem wants you to have water now. So we don't base it on our... So that's the case. Ahat Hashem said, anybody that eats on Yom Kippur, karet. And at the same time, the rabbi is telling the lady, drink water. I hear an exception. It's always important to get the exception. When you have the exception, it shows that you're not doing it because you have a custom. Or you have a... You know, you're used to it. You have a practice. You're doing it because Hashem says. It's, the, it's when you have to break the law, that's when you see the reason why you were probably keeping the law. Uh, a, a simple example, Rabbi Yaakov Kamenetsky says, Shalom. Who was the man of Chesed? Abraham. Abraham is Chesed. But maybe his Chesed was not because God said to be Chesed. Maybe it's Chesed because he's a nice guy. And some people are just nice guys. Not everybody does chesed because Hashem says to do chesed. Chesed because, you know, they're good people. So how do you test somebody to see if his chesed is coming because God commanded us or is it coming because of nature? You test them to be cruel. Now, if it's his nature to be kind, he won't be able to be cruel. But if he's doing it because God told him, so when God tells the tzaddik, now I don't want you to be chesed, I want you to be cruel, if he can shut it off when God tells him to shut it off, that's the indication that when he was doing it, it was from God. So what does God tell Avraham Abinu? Be cruel to your son and kill him. Now God had no intention to kill Yitzhak, but why didn't he tell him that? He wanted to show everybody that Abraham was not doing chesed because he was just a nice guy. The chesed he was doing was because it was divinely commanded to him and the proof of the pudding is is when I told him to stop being chesed he stopped understand? it's a big yesod of Yaakov Kamenetsky <coughs> Yaakov Abinu what was Yaakov Abinu's midah? very good emet honest but his honesty was not like Benjamin Franklin or Abe Lincoln never tell a lie no his emet was coming from where? Because God says you have to be emet. Good. So where is his test going to be? That when his mother comes along and says that she got a prophecy from God, that you have to go trick your father and now come and dress up like Esav. Now if Yaakov Abinu is emet because it's just his nature to be honest, he would tell his mother, I can't do it. I never told a lie. Uh, no, I'm not. Why were you so honest? Because of Emily Post? Book of, book of etiquette? Or were you honest because Hashem told you to be honest? Because Hashem, good. Now Hashem's telling you to go do this to your father. You know, to get the barakot from Esau. So you only see that Sadiq's level when he's asked to shut it off. If he can't shut it off when God commands him, then he wasn't doing it for God in the first place. So that's why you see the Torah will give the, the opposite. Torah says you can't do this, but in this case you do it. Why? Because when you wear shatnez, when God tells you to wear shatnez, that proves to us that when you weren't wearing shatnez, it was because God told you not to do it. That's the Shem Shalom. But if a person says, no, I can't wear a talent that has shatnez on it, but Hashem says, it's okay. I can't. I, it doesn't. So, that, so now shatnez is your own item. It's not God's item. You're making up your, your rules. You're not following the rules of shatnez of Hashem. You're following your own whatever, ideas of what you think Shatnez is. That's the example. Are we clear on that? That's one way to understand the Pasuk. Ahat libera Hashem shtayim shamati. Oh. Now we get now we get to the end. The last Pasuk.
lot is said on this last pasuk. Let's read. Ulcha Adonai Hasid. God, you do Hasid. You're kind. And you know what your kindness is? Ki atatishalem leish kemaasehu. That you punish the person, you take retribution to the person according to his actions. Wait, go slow. You're kind because you take retribution according to the person's actions? That doesn't sound too kind. I would have loved the Pasuk to say, you are kind. And you know what your kindness is, God? You let us go. That's a kind father. But here the Pasuk is saying, you're so kind. Because when people do misdeeds, you punish them. You give them tashlum. You give them, uh, you know, uh, retribution according to his deeds. I don't know. I don't see what the chesed is. So that's the challenge that we're going to have to answer. What does it mean that God is kind because he punishes us according to our actions? So I'm going to explain it to you in several ways. Let's see how many ways we can explain this pasuk. Can anybody explain it? Anybody has a theory on this? I just want to show you how a lot of times when you read these pasukim, you say it doesn't make any sense. And then you start hearing the theories. Oh, I know, I understand. It makes sense. What was so difficult before you heard the explanation becomes so beautiful and, and, and logical after you hear the explanation. So I'll give you one like this. Does God punish if a person had thoughts to make a sin? Does God punish for thoughts? You're very wise, you don't answer. Because when you answer yes or no, it's 50-50. Rabbis, the first thing they teach us when somebody asks you a question, you say it depends. It depends, you can never go wrong. So therefore, because everything depends on something. So I was never wrong a day in my life. Anytime somebody asks me a question, it depends. And they go, oh, he's a genius, this guy. I, how do you know? I didn't know? I didn't know the answer, but I know it depends on something, so therefore I got the right answer. But the rabbi answered, no. Then he has to come back and say, no, I made a mistake. It's yes. Why didn't you say it depends? You would have been right. <clears throat> anyway, so the question is, does God punish for, for, for thoughts? On most of the sins, he doesn't. On a few, he does. That's why I said it depends. It depends what sin. On, let's say, Abu Zarah, he punishes even for thoughts. But let's not talk about Abu Dazara. Let's say a person's home, and he's thinking all day how he's going to rob a bank. He's thinking, I'm going to go to the night, and I'm going to go to the bank, I'm going to take the gun, I'm going to steal. He planned it all on his brain. And then all of a sudden, the next morning, he says, what am I, crazy? I'm going to rob a bank. Hasbe Shalom. He doesn't do it. And does he get punished for the thoughts? He doesn't. God does not punish for thoughts. However, let's say a person had good thoughts. Let's say a person was thinking, you know, tomorrow morning I want to go to Shul Vatikin. I want to pray with Kavanah. He planned it out already. You know, he has his car. He's going to go. He planned it. Everything good. Beautiful. Next morning, he overslept. Azit, not his fault. He overslept. People always sleep sometimes. He didn't hear his alarm. He said his alarm instead of a.m., he put p.m. So the alarm was set for 5 p.m. instead of 5 a.m. It happens once in a while. Azit, Torah says he gets reward. Because when it comes to sins, God doesn't punish for the thought. But when it comes to mitzvot, Hashem rewards even for the good intention, even if you aren't able to bring it into action. So the Pasuk is saying like this, Ulcha Hashem Hasid, God you are very kind. Ki which is when it comes to sins, you only punish them when they do it. but you don't punish them for the thoughts. That's a chesed. Whereas when it comes to mitzvot, you even give us reward for the thoughts that we have. So therefore, the kindness is that when it comes to avirot, you only punish when there's an action, but you do not punish for the, the plotting and the scheming and the thought process, if it didn't lead to anything. Understand that, Pshat, ladies? Okay.
Okay, now, if you allow me to say another explanation. Let's say you have over here a case. And by the way, where, where do we see this concept? Just if I can prove you the concept. The Midrash tells us over here a beautiful story about King David. King David, it says, one day was sitting in his uh, palace and um, he was mitzta'ir. I'm meaning from the Midrash Tehillim. He was mitzta'ir. Lebnot Beta Mikdash. He said, I want to build a Beta Mikdash. David says, we'll see, we'll read it in, the, in one of the chapters. It kul onnu to, he had an inui, he had an agony. I want to build a better Mikdash. How could I be in my palace and Hashem is in a little tent? It heal mehar her belibo. He started to think, David. The air anuchi yoshev, the bet arazim. I'm sitting in a beautiful palace, cedarwood, and the ark of God is in a temporary structure. Bothered David to the core. Amarlo Natana Navi. Natana Navi came to him and said, Which means God must want a better Mikdash. That's why he put the idea in your head. And therefore, it's a good idea. David was about to go ahead with making blueprints and start to build it. Miyad nigla alav because we're who al niyadin natan. Natan Rabbi comes back to David and says, in the middle of the night, you're not going to build a bit of Mikdash, David. You can't do it. Your son is going to do it for whatever reason. But the pasuk says that even though you're not going to build it, the bit of Mikdash is going to be named on you. Since you thought to build it, if you remember, we learned chapter 30. The song of the inauguration of the Beta Mikdash. Who's Beta Mikdash? David's Beta Mikdash. Hold it. David didn't build the Beta Mikdash. Oh, Shalom built it. But David gets credit as well because he thought to do it and God stopped him. It wasn't his fault. God didn't want him to do it. And therefore, look how generous God is. When we have thoughts to do something good, God gives us reward for it. And when we have thoughts to do something bad, Borei Ram says, no, only ma'asehu. So that is a, uh, that actually is a, uh, is a chesed. Now I'll say another explanation. Another explanation is, he says here in the Midrash, in Yalkut Shimoni. Lo alenu velo alechem. Person's married, and later he gets pregnant. But the has a miscarriage. Terrible thing, especially if it's a late miscarriage. All miscarriages are difficult, but the later it is, obviously, the more painful it is. And people go through this. And the people don't understand why, why should this happen. Now, we really don't know exactly in every case why, but the Yalkut gives us an option. And the Midrash says like this, Lemata mahu adam ravak. You have a single man. Over avera. He did a sin. Who knows what he did? Vera'u'i lamut. He should die because he made a sin. Ma'akadosh baruch hu oseh. What does God do? Tolelo. He suspends the punishment. Achi sa'isha. Until he gets married. Sa'isha. And now what happens? Or miscarriage happens, or something happens to that to that source. So what Olam says, I didn't punish you directly. He still lives. He had to go through a difficult uh, situation. So the Pasuk says that's a chesed, because God didn't punish you according to you. He punished it, not it doesn't say he punished your action, he punished you. Kemaasehu. Kemaasehu is like your action, which is he didn't take the retribution against the person itself. Let's say a person lost money. And that loss of money is considered a punishment if God took his life. So therefore, no, he deserves that his life be taken. But God doesn't punish always 
the ma'aseh directly. That's why there's a chaf over here. The chaf at the end of the pasuk means ke'atat t'shem leish, not ma'asehu, but ke'ma'asehu. Ke'ma'asehu means there's a, there's a mitigating factor that God can take away something else from the person and save the life. So therefore God did not, even though the, 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 if you follow the rule books, the rule book says you do this, the person's life should be taken away. That's ma'aseh. But God said, no, I'm not going to punish you word for word. Okay. I'll take away something else. Yeah, but that's not the rule book. The rule book says, that's the chesed that God does. God says, I'll let the loss that you took in a different area be considered as if the punishment came to you exact. Understand how the dash is learning? That's that. All right. Now what? I'll tell you another one. Yeah, this pasuk the rabbis love. It's a, it's a famous, uh, famous pasuk that the rabbis of Doresh. I'll tell you one that I heard. It goes like this. Oh, this is a beautiful one. There was a great rabbi called the Nitivot HaMishpat. Rabbi Yaakov Melisa. He was once at the house of the Hatam Sofer. We cannot go through a Tehillim class without mentioning the Hatam Sofer, as you know. And he was there, and he said the following the Vret Torah. He was quoting this pasuk. And he said, I want to explain this pasuk. Listen to a beautiful thought of the Gaon Melisa. <coughs> there was a guy. He used to go to shul every day, pray with a minyan, kaddish, barichu, beautiful. One day he's walking to shul and he sees that uh, in the market is setting up the guy to sell wood. Those days they didn't have uh, uh, central heating. He heated your house with wood. So he said, well, you know what? I know later on the market's going to be filled with people. Now I'm the, oh, I'm, the, I'm the only guy here and I'm sure I can get a better price because there's nobody here. He looked at his watch, he said, I know there's shul now, I got to go to shul, but you know what? Just let me buy the wood. So he didn't go to shul that day, and now he went and bought the wood, and he saved some money, actually. And now the guy says, where do you want me to deliver the wood? Says, oh, let me show you. So by the time he took him to the house to deliver the wood, he missed minyan, he missed everything. Okay, he went to shul. He prayed alone that day without a minyan. In the heavens, a big tumult started to brew. The angels of prosecution came to God and said, this guy, this guy doesn't deserve any reward for all those times he went to Minyan. You know why? Because you see, look what's more important to him. It's more important to save a few rubles than to go to shul. <laughs> he went to shul all those other days because it didn't cost him anything. But you see, if it's a choice between going to shul and saving some money, put money before shul, therefore they wanted to erase all his, all his deeds. Understand what was going on? God intervened. And God said, no, you're wrong. It's true today, he might have made a bad decision to choose money over going to shul. But I want to ask you a question, angels of prosecution. The mitzvot that he did already, would he sell those for all the money in the world? He says, what he did already, he will not sell. Which means, if you ask this guy, for a few rubles, will you give me some of the mitzvot that you got by going to shul? Ask yourselves, ladies, will you give up any of the mitzvot? If somebody came along and said, I know you did a good deed, I'll give you $10,000, could you give me that mitzvah? I doubt nobody can give you all the money in the world, you won't give up any mitzvah. What you did already? Now that, not, that, that doesn't mean that maybe one day you'll decide to, to go and uh, to go do something fun instead of coming to class. Okay, that one you messed up on. But nobody's going to come along and say, what I, what's in the bank? You're not getting that. Why? Because it's precious to us. For all the money in the world, you won't give up what you did. So therefore, what do you see? Says the Rav, the girl Melissa. Ulchashem Hasid. God, you're kind. You know how you reward a person? You reward a person not on what he did today, but what he did yesterday. That he will not sell yesterday's mitzvot. And therefore, God will always judge a person not on, well, today he didn't do it. You're right. Don't judge him for today. Because the, the angels of prosecution want to say, since he didn't do it today, that shows what he did it yesterday also, it doesn't count. God says no. The proof is that today he might have went for money, but take what he has in the bank, he won't give it to you for all the millions of dollars in the world. Therefore, God rewards us according to what we did, 
And that becomes the measure why he has to give us and will give us reward. He will not take it away from us because he knows we will not give it up. A beautiful explanation, which is, which is the truth. Which means a person on any given day might uh, you know, cheat and not, let's say, do a mitzvah because he wants to have some fun. But nobody will give up a mitzvah that he did already for fun. That's for sure. And therefore God says, I will reward you because I know your attitude on what you have done already. And that is something that you'll never, uh, you'll never trade in. You'll never substitute. All right, I have another explanation. The last explanation. And then uh, I wish you a good day and we'll, we'll move on. So the explanation, I heard this is from Rabbi Amar, Chief Rabbi of Jerusalem. He explained it according to a story. There was a there was a uh, there's different ways he said it. I'll say the first way I heard it. There was a wedding one day in a hall in Europe somewhere. Hundreds of people came to the wedding. In those days, they didn't have electric lighting. They had chandeliers with candles. And in this hall, they had a beautiful chandelier with hundreds and hundreds of candles. Beautiful. And it was hanging from a, a, a chain to the roof, to the ceiling, to the roof. And everybody's at the party, and it's Simhab, There's a guy, Meskin, poor guy. And... Uh, his pants are too loose on him. He needs a, looking for a belt. He can't even afford a belt. The guy's mesquite. Anyway, he climbs up on the roof of this hall and he sees on the roof, he doesn't, know, he doesn't even know what this building is, but he sees like a rope, like a cord on top of the... He says, wow, this is unbelievable. He looks at it, he says, you know something? If I cut a little piece of this rope, it could be a, a belt for me. So he takes his little pocket knife out, he starts cutting the rope, a little piece of the rope, and he putting it. Now, what happened? He cut the chandelier. But the chandelier came down. Everything was destroyed, havoc, fire. Who knows what happened? Now all of a sudden the police do an investigation, and they catch the guy. And they tell him, hey, we know what you did. He says, listen, I cannot lie. He takes the belt off. He says, please, I want to return it. Uh, you know, hatati amiti pashati. He said, what? You think we're coming to you because of this five cent bill? You don't know what you did with this. You made havoc. You destroyed the whole... Uh... He said, I had no idea that this belt was connected to a chandelier. Ah, was... uh, you didn't know. Now, Baba Amar will give him a sham. He said, when a person makes an avera, has shalom. He thinks, okay, what I do, I spoke a little Lashonara. But you have to know that your mouth is connected to the upper worlds. And when a person makes a sin, he's creating havoc in the upper worlds. So imagine pushing, a person pushing a button. And you don't even realize this button is setting off nuclear bombs somewhere in the world. You're pushing, you're pushing, you're pushing. Bombs go, blah, blah. Then the guy says, what are you doing? I'm sorry, I pushed the button, I'm sorry. Well, you're sorry, you destroyed half the world. The problem is we don't know the consequence of our actions. So the Rab said that when Bore Olam is coming to take retribution, you're a kind God. You know why? You're going to punish the person according to what he did and not the destruction that it caused. That's a chesed. Because we're going to come along and we didn't know. Okay, we'll punish you for the shonara. But you have to know that what you set off as a result of that sin was very, very great. But the chesed that Hashem does is that hopefully he won't hold us responsible for the collateral damage that the sin caused in the upper ulamot. But you have to make the shuvah. That's only if you make the shuvah. If you make the shuvah, then but if a person doesn't make the shuvah, obviously, then he'll be held responsible. The point is, the point is, this pasuk is actually a chesed of a kadosh baruch Hu. Either, either the way we explained it is, you only punish us for our actions and not our thoughts. Or the chesed is that you don't punish us directly for the action what we did. You punish us. You take something else away and you save the, you save the person. 
all the explanation is that you reward us based on our past deeds. You don't hold our present deeds that we don't do and therefore delete what we did. You say, listen, since what they did, they'll never forfeit, therefore they deserve reward for it, even though they're not always so consistent. The third, the fourth explanation we just said now, that even though our actions have reactions, but Elam only punishes us for the action and will let us go for the reaction.